0: Bernice, I joined uh, the A.A.S. My name—I'll tell you my name. My name is Raleigh Hemsley, and I'm—I was a professional baseball player.
1: I played in the big leagues twenty
0: years. Eleven of them drunk, nine sober. (laughs) You people out there are very fortunate to learn about Alcoholics Anonymous, I had to find out the hard way. Some of the drinking episodes I was on cost me quite a bit of money, and every time I was on an episode I either had my picture printed in the newspaper, something like this, which should you persons do not have. So you're very fortunate. Now, I played uh, with some great ball players. I played against Babe Ruth, Walter Johnson, Sam Rice, Joe Judge. I'll name some of them around here. Played against those fellows. Then I played with Hack Wilson. Probably some of you have heard of him. He holds a record of 190 runs batted in. That's more than the Washington ball club hits in all year. But they tell me that the ball players are better today than they were back in 20 years ago. I started uh, the drink back in about 1927 up here at Frederick, Maryland, that's where I started my baseball career in 1925. I went to Pittsburgh in 28, 29, 30, 31, Chicago Cubs in 31 and 32. That's where I ran into Hack Wilson and Pat Malone. Some of you fellows might have heard of those fellows. Paul Weiner was one of my drinking partners at uh, Pittsburgh then I can go on over to Cincinnati. But when I got to St. Louis Browns in 1933, seems like I was on my own, a manager named Roger, Roger Harnsby. seems like every time I turned around, well, I, I run into Roger. And back in those days, we played all-day baseball instead of night. So we had a lot of times to drink and play around, which I didn't miss any of it. Some of the episodes I was on, I'll tell you about them. One of them was down in uh, San Antonio, Texas, in spring training, and we went to uh, Laredo, Texas, which is on the border of the Rio Grande right across from the old Mexico. <coughs> We had the next uh, uh, exhibition next game scheduled and it started to rain, and I was over in old Mexico, so when I got back to the hotel, the bus had left. And naturally, when I was over in Mexico, I sampled out some of the stuff that they made over there, tequila and some of the other drinks that they had across the bar. But when I, uh, really got back to the hotel, the bus was already on its way to San Antonio, which was hundred and about hundred and fifty miles, and I didn't have any way to get up there. So, I had a few bottles in a bag that I got across the strip, across the river, and I started to drinking. Well, I finally hit into San Antonio about seven o'clock that night, And before I went to the hotel, I went to a liquor store and got me a couple fifths. And I don't know where I picked them up, but I had a girl on each arm when I walked into the hotel looking for Hornsby and Don Barnes, who was the owner of the ball club, and Bill DeWitt, who was the general manager. Well, they saw what kind of a condition I was in, so they they ducked me. They didn't want to have anything to do with me. But the next morning they did, because they called my room and told me to come up to Mr. Barnes' room. Well, I went up there, and when I came back out of there, I was $5,000 less than what I went in with, because that's what they find. me. So, you people, you people, uh, have little troubles. I used to have a lot of big troubles. Another episode was in 1935 at the World's Fair in Chicago. Mr. Hornsby, he was very grateful and gave the whole ball cup the day off. But we had to catch a train that night to Detroit. Now, most of these fellows went out to see the fair. But uh, I couldn't go by the bar because that's where I spent my afternoon. And time I hit the train, why, I, I had a snoop full. And time I got off the train the next day in Detroit, I had two snoop full. Because that night on the train, we'd run into Ted Lewis and his band. Now, I don't know who drinks anymore, a ball player or a a band, uh, a musician. And, uh, we really hit it up that night. When we hit Detroit the next morning, we were standing with a teammate of mine. Frank Ruby was on the platform. And we were waving goodbye as the ball player was walking off in the train in the station. And in those days, we had to carry our own grips not like today, the kids are not strong enough to carry the grips, so <laughs> they pick them up right up the, the ballpark and haul them, put them on the planes, and haul them, and even when they get back to the hotel, while they take it up to each room, they have numbers on the on the suitcases. But it, we had to carry our grips. So when they went by, why well, Groupy and I went back in the train and sat down and started to Drink a little more, and we <clears throat> train pulled out into the yard and stopped. Well, I don't know which one of us come to our senses and said, "Well, we'd better get out in this train and stop." So we got our grips, started up through this yard about a mile uh, to the railroad yard, and uh, got a cab and went to the hotel. It was a book Cadillac hotel. And lo and behold, they had a revol- revolving door there in the, in the front of them. So neither one of us was very polite, so he went in one side and I went in the other.
1: <laughs>
0: and we got locked in there. Anyway, we had to have the engineer come down and take the whole thing apart
1: <laughs>
0: before the crowd of the people out on the sidewalk could get in or the people upstairs wanted to get out. Well, after we got out, my roommate took me up to the the room, and he saw what kind of condition I was in when I was in the revolving door, and he ordered up about 50 pounds of ice, and he cracked it up, and he put it in the tub and put the water in. So when I got up there, he undressed me and put me in this tub and dashed me up and down to sober me up. Well, I was sober enough... To, to go out to the ballpark that day, and when we got out there, why like, Hornsby started to go around he asked different guys if they had a good time at the fair, and they said, yeah. And so he finally got to Groovy and he said, Frank, did you have a good time at the fair? And he said, yeah. He said, well, it'll cost you $150. So then he asked a couple more, Sam West, Ray Pepper, and then he come to Raleigh. He said, Raleigh, do you have a good time? And I said, yeah. He said, Well, it'll cost you three hundred. And I said, Well, what the hell? I said, I, I didn't know. I wasn't twice as drunk as Groovy. Why, why should you find me three hundred? Well he says, I think you're twice as valuable to the ball club. That's the reason you're getting it. <laughs> and it came out in the papers where I was fined and money taken out. Well, I went to a meeting. Oh, about two months ago, and somebody asked me how much it cost me in fines while I was playing baseball. And sitting down one night uh, at home, nothing to do, I started to figure up the fines, uh, and ones I couldn't remember. And it came almost to $20,000. So you see, I had to find out the hard way. Well, after four 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 and a half years with the Browns under Hornsby, he had enough of me, and I had enough of him, too, because every time I turned around, well, I was fine. So they sold me to, to Cleveland, and, of course, when we went to Cleveland, why? They had more money than the Browns, and they trained, trained right in New Orleans. And what I placed for a ball club to train was down there. We were down there one night, and I went down on Bourbon Street. I didn't make all the boards, but I made quite a few of
1: them. And I got in a
0: fight. My right eye was closed and the other one was going closed, so I couldn't make it out to the ballpark the next morning. And a photographer came up to my room. He found out I was in my room. And I went to the door when he knocked on the door and opened it. And he was out there with a with a camera. He was gonna, I guess, take a picture of my bad eye. Anyway, I slammed the door and locked it. And went back to bed. About a half an hour later, why here comes the knock again. So I thought maybe somebody from the ball club was coming up to see how I was. So here was this same photographer going to snap my picture, so I started to close the door and, lo and behold, he pushed the door in and shoved me up against the dresser drawer and he come on into my room. Now that's coming into my territory, so I picked out the drawer of the top of the dresser and I set it right down over his head. I broke his camera. And, boy, he went down that hall of flying. So when the club got through working out that day, well, Mr. Vitt, who was the manager there, he came in, he said, Raleigh says, we're sending you back to Missouri. And that was my home then, and suspended me for ten days. So the uh, headlines in the paper where I was on another tear, and I got the name of Raleigh and Raleigh because I was really going around. So I went ag- when we got into Cleveland, I went back to spring training and drank a little bit and didn't get any more trouble. But when I got back to Cleveland, Mr. Slapnick a- called me up in the office one day and he said, "Rolly, you want to quit drinking? I said, I certainly do. He said, well, we've got a sanitarium out of here on Euclid. That can cure you in three days. And I said, "Good, I'll go out there." And he said, "The ball club will stand the expenses." So I went out there, and the first first night out there, I tried to get my clothes to get get out of the place because they they shot me my in my chest and come around every hour every so often and wake me up and give me a drink and ask me what kind I drank. I told them I drank anything I could get a hold of or get a kick out of. And that's uh, white mule, gin, beer, scotch, wine, anything. So all night long while they'd wake me up and they'd feed me a glass of Gin and glass of uh, bourbon or gas, glass of scotch. Then they'd come along and shoot me in the chest again. And every so other about, I guess about a half an hour, I'd get, get sick and go to the men's room and heave. So the next morning, well, I told Mrs. Uh, called Mr. Slapnik and told him I was going to get out of there. Well, he says, you wait till I come out there. So he was out there in about a half an hour because he knew I was going to get out of there. So he, he talked me into staying and taking the treatment by giving me and a thousand dollars and a diamond ring. So I said, "Oh well, I could stand anything for that." So, but I said, "It's not going to help me, slap." He said, "Well, stay here and try it." So I did. I stayed there and. Lo and behold, uh, uh, when you get this glass of whiskey up to your nose and you would vomit, you was cured. That was their treatment. So, at the end of the season, I happened to be hurt and I was sitting up in the stands. Before I went into the stands, I went up to the slapknickers' office and got my check for a thousand dollars and a diamond ring and my last pay. Then I went up in the stands and I got drunk.
1: <laughs> so
0: so <clears throat> come uh, contract at time and the next spring, and uh, Slap wasn't going to sign me up because uh, I didn't keep my word, and I told him, I said, well, I did. I said, I didn't get drunk anymore that year in baseball season. Anyway, uh, I had to go back to Cleveland to Mr. Bradley to sign up, and that time they went to uh, uh, Fort Myers, uh, Florida. So I behaved very good in Fort Myers. I stayed sober. We started north playing exhibition games with the New York Giants, and I hit uh, Richmond, Virginia. We had Richmond and New York and then Cleveland. So coming out of Richmond, uh, second baseman on the, the New York Giants, Alex Camporis, he had a bottle of old granddad and asked me if I'd want a drink, and I said, oh, I said, yeah, might as well have a drink. So within a half an hour I had two drinks there at the train, and when I got on the train I had two fifths. So on the, on the way north, the trainer of the ball club, him and I got in a fight, and I locked uh, the porter in the in the men's room. And I went out and I gathered up all the papers in the, that the fellows had been reading, and I threw them in an upper berth and I set fire to it. So they had to stop the train to put the fire out, and we arrived in New York the next morning. Went out to the ballpark, and Mr. Vit said, Raleigh says, "Don't put on the uniform today." He says, uh, Mr. Moomaw has a ticket for you to go back to Cleveland. So that was on a Sunday morning, and it was a very lonesome ride for me going back to Cleveland with all that in the newspaper again where I was suspended and sent home. Well, when I got into the Cleveland terminal, that morning, why Mr. Slapniker met me at the top of the stairs, and I just thought, well, boy, here comes another good find. So he met me, and he took me over to uh, over to the seat, and there was two gentlemen over there by the name of Bill Jones and Lloyd Tate, and they come. Uh, stood up, and I shook hands with them, and they said, uh, Raleigh, do you want to quit drinking? I said, well, ask Mr. Slapnick. I tried it last year. I said, nobody can help me. They said, we can help you. Well, I said, if you can, for God's sake, do it. Because I was on my last legs in playing professional baseball. So and they say that we, we belong to a club of it's called the Alcohol Anonymous. And I said, Well, I never heard of that club. What kind of a club is that? And he said, Well, it's a club. And if you want to quit drinking, why we'll talk to you about it. So Mr. Slapnik arranged a meeting for for us that afternoon down at the ballpark and we met down there. And Slap asked me, he said, Well, Wally, do you want to go and try this? And I said, uh, I'll try anything because, you know, I tried it last year and I told you it wasn't going to work, and it didn't because that winter out on the farm I really got drunk. So there were, uh, the ball club was coming home to open up on a Tuesday. And of course I had to be there because Bob Feller was gonna pitch and I had to catch Feller. I was his catcher for the So Slap said, Well, he said, Raleigh well, says you stay here three days with the ball club and then they'll go on the road for four days and when they come back, why you'll be all right. I said, Well, how are we gonna arrange it? And he said, Well, the last time up at that, when you go to first base, why trip over first base and Fake a sprained ankle. Well, I said, well, what if I strike out? And he said, well, when you go back to the dugout, fall in them.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: but any, anyway, I hit the ball to the shortstop and went down first base, and I faked the sprained ankle. So right after the ball game was over, Mr. Slapnicker came down to the clubhouse, and talked to Vitt and he said, Well, Raleigh's not going to help you on the ball top. You're only gone four days. Why? Just leave him here, and we'll have him treated here. He didn't say for what, but he said, We'll have him treated. (laughs) So next morning, these two two fellows, Bill Jones and Lloyd Tate, I was really a drunk because I had to have two sponsors, (laughs) come and got me at the hotel and took me down to... Akron, Ohio, and that's 40 miles from Cleveland. And I met Dr. Bob Smith, who was the originator of the Alcoholic Noms. Him and Bill Wilson was the, Bill Wilson was the other one. So I went into the hospital, met Dr. Bob, and, and he says, uh, Raleigh, what, what the hell are you doing here? And I said, well, I don't know. But these uh, two fellows here said that you can help me with my alcohol problem. Well, he said, I believe I can, because I'm one of them. So they uh, put me in bed, and he asked if I wanted to drink, and I said, no. I said, I came here to stop, and I says,
1: uh,
0: I don't want it. He said, well, if you can stand it, why, more power to you. And I said, I'll stand it. So... <clears throat> Anyway, he'd come in and he'd sit there and talk to me and told me some of the things that he did. When he was drinking, Bill Wilson, he was a traveling salesman, he'd lock himself in a room for a week at a time, supposed to be out making calls, well he wasn't. And Lloyd Tate was the sailor, and every time his port his ship would leave port, he'd have enough on him on the ship to last him until he hit the next port. So some of you fellows probably were like I was. You're just small drinkers compared to some of them that went through it. And while I was in the hospital, I think the four days I was there, there were, I'd say about 40 of the members of the AA came and talked to me. Some of them would come and talk to me at 3 o'clock in the morning because they knew that I would be there. Then the other would come in the morning or seven o'clock in the morning. Any hours that they were going by the hospital, they would stop them and tell me their story that they they had of collecting the, the, the problem of alcohol. There was one gentleman I'll never forget, he was a professor of Kent College. They had him in the nut house there in, in Ohio. And when he told me his story, of, like, Bernice hiding hers into the coal bin, why he hid his in the flowers and uh, he hid it every place just where he could get it after he was in the hospital. He had friends that bring it in to him and he finally went nuts. So, after listening to uh, the stories for about four days of these people and reading the red book, The, the Alcoholic the Anomalous with Stories in it, I, I said to myself, well, well, if they could quit drinking, I can quit drinking. So <clears throat> went back the next day, or four days later, went back and joined the ball club. And I had a pretty good year that year. I think I had around 290, which today is, is fabulous, because of the <laughs> if
1: you hit 190,
0: why, you wouldn't ask for a raise. But I caught about 140 40 some ball games. And uh, I think my field on average was 994. I made four errors that year. And today, uh, one player will make four errors in one game.
1: <laughs>
0: so they're better ball players today than the when I played. Anyway, I went through the year. And had a good year and uh stayed sober and went out on the farm and that was my tough tough part to go out on the farm and stay sober out there because that was my retreat in the winter. I go out there, used to go out and get drunk and uh, I had about thirty dogs that I had. I used to go fox hunting and take these dogs out turn them loose, and then get drunk. And I'd be out there for two or three days. My wife didn't know where I was at, but I had one old dog that she'd go home because she'd get hungry, and uh, my wife would follow her back. Now, that's the way they used to find me in the winter. So. That winter I went out and I stayed sober and uh, got along just fine. I didn't go to any meetings that winter, but during the summer back in Cleveland, every Wednesday when I was in Cleveland, why, these two, two hound dogs would come and pick me up after a ball game and take me down to Akron, and we'd go to meetings down there every Wednesday night. And you people are fortunate. You've got maybe two or three blocks to go, or maybe ten blocks to go. Because now I hear there's a, there's a group on almost every corner here in Washington. So all you have to do is go to these meetings, and you'll find a lot of, a lot of friends around, and uh, the goodwill that they'll help you. If you've got troubles, they'll help you. But out there on the farm, I had to fight it out myself. Which I did, and I went to spring training the next year. And uh, you know, newspaper people are nosy when you're in the limelight because every time I'd go into a bar, I could see one of them sticking their head around to see whether I was taking a drink. Well, I was taking a drink, all right, but it was Coca Cola. Because if I, I felt this way, if I was afraid, to go into a bar where they were drinking, then I wasn't cured. So I, I'd go into the bars with these fellows, and they'd have their Tom Collins and whiskey sours and scots and on the rocks and this and that, and I'd have Coca Colas. And every once in a while, I'd go to the men's room, and when I come back, and I'd start a drink by like one of these smart guys that poured a drink into my Coca Cola, wanting me to get started again. Well, I've tasted whiskey, but I spit it out. I never swallowed it. So all spring training why these newspaper men were following me, and we went into Chicago. I think it was around, uh, well, it was on opening day, April ninth, 18th, or the 16th, I think, to be the correct day. And Bob Fowler pitched a no-hitter. Now if you're going to celebrate, that's a good time to celebrate, when you catch a no-hitter. And I was fortunate. I drove in the winning run. We beat Chicago one to nothing that day. So these smart newspaper men knew I was going to take a drink and celebrate. Well, they saw me go into the bar, and right away they run to Oscar Vett and said to Vitt, well, Raleigh's in the bar again. Well, he says, when the explosion comes, I know he's come out. Well, I didn't explode or I didn't drink in there, but some of these fellows come up to me. It was Cobbledick and McCauley and Gibbons and Whitey Lewis. And they asked me, what's the matter, i must celebrate." And I said, I'm celebrating. He said, yeah, but you're not drinking. I said, oh, I stopped drinking a year ago. You fellows didn't know that, did you? Well, he said, "How do you stop?" And I said, "Well, you meet me here in the morning, and I'll tell you." He said, "What time?" My father said, 5 o'clock." All four of them have been there. When I said eight thirty, so I got down a little early, about eight o'clock, and here all four of them are sitting out there waiting. So I told him, I said, "Well, last year I joined the AA." And I'll never forget Ed McCulley. He says, what the hell is they? And I said, well, that's the Alcohol Anonymous. And he says, where did you join? So they asked me a million questions. And I finally told him I joined down in Akron. It was a group of goodwill. And uh, they said, well, how's it work? And I said, I don't know how it works, but it's working. And I said, I'm satisfied. So when we got back to Cleveland, that's the first time it was made public. Nobody had ever heard of alcoholic numbs before in the in the paper. Well, I was the seventy-seventh member of the group. I am the 77th member, me put it that way. Now that group was started in nineteen thirty-five by Bob uh, Smith and Bill Wilson. And between 35 and 39, there were 76 members in it. But in 1940, the end of the 40, I guess there was thousands, because I got a lot of letters, I got a lot of calls, and I went out personally on a lot of them, and a lot of others I turned over to the members of the AA who were in the group that went down to Akron with me. I'll never forget one night about 3 o'clock, there was a lady called me and asked me to come over and talk to her son. I said, What's the matter with him? Does he have a drinking problem? Oh, yes, he does. I said, Well, how bad is it? Why, he took his first beer tonight. I said, I said, "Lady, I said, would you uh, mind going back to sleep and leave me alone?" But I, I, I really got some got some dandy calls. You know, uh, uh, you can't go out and uh, uh, pull somebody into AA. They they want to they want to have to come in themselves. They got to have a desire to quit. And if anybody has a desire to quit, AA can help because they've helped me and they've helped millions of other people. Now, I think when I went in in 1939, there were two groups. There was one little group in, in New York and the, the one in, uh, in Africa. And uh, I think today, I, I vouch to say, there's tens of thousands of groups all over the United States because I would get letters wherever I went. I'd get telephone calls when I went to Chicago or Detroit, and people would call me up about drinking problems. And that's the reason I said, some of you people are fortunate because you have a group here on every corner. You don't get your names in in the paper. You don't get fined. A little fine, maybe $50 for being drunk. That's nothing. But one thing, one thing I don't like about AA is the way they uh, announce each other: Charlie C or John J. Or I'm proud of my name. I'm proud of I'm uh, belong the Alcohol Anonymous, and I think everybody should should be. If you had uh, hay fever, you would go to a doctor and get cured. So if you have uh, alcohol problems, go to the AA, and they'll cure you. But you shouldn't be ashamed of your name, because that's the only one you'll ever have, the men anyway. The women might have to. (laughs) So I believe, speaking up for the AA. And uh, there's been years that uh, I was like a lot of
1: people. that I didn't want people to know it. I belonged to the 88, so I stayed undercover.